You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Revelation 21. If you want to take a minute to find that, I'm going to do the same. And then when you're ready, if you're able to stand, please join me for the reading of God's Word. Again, the passage is Revelation 21, and I'm reading from the ESV. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall no more, be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. 
And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Back in December, uh, my, my hearing got really bad, and um, I was really nervous uh, because I, I, um, it just got kind of cloudier and cloudier, and I didn't know if it was going to come back. Um, I was told as long as it's in both ears, you're, you know, it's probably not a tumor or something. And then, I, then a little bit later, it actually just was in one ear, so uh, I kind of panicked more. And, and when it would happen, I mean, it wasn't necessarily that unpleasant, but when it would happen... I would think to myself, I might not hear again, or I'll slowly lose my hearing, or I'm gonna have a tumor, and so it just, my mind would just spiral, catastrophize. And um, finally, after a lot of uh, prodding from my wife, um, I, was, I, I was agreeable to going to see a doctor. Like it was, it, it, you would think that anybody would do that very quickly, but it took me a very long time to agree to that, to the point of like, I was really kind of panicked. So I went to the doctor, and they tested it, they diagnosed it, they, they, um, they saw that it was bad, you know, the hearing in the left ear was bad. And, um, and but because this person had seen that a lot before, they were like, I think I know what you have. Um, I'm pretty sure it's this. And uh, so if you take this medicine, I feel pretty confident that it's gonna come back. And so after that, it didn't go away immediately. It, it continued to happen, but when it happened, and this is kind of the point. When it happened, when it would come back, I would think to myself, remember what the doctor said? Uh, you're taking this medicine. He's explained the problem. He's diagnosed the problem. He's given you uh, the likely outcome where you're going. He gave me that hope. And so my mind didn't go there anymore. Uh, it just didn't, it didn't go down those rabbit holes. It didn't spiral. Uh, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a telling thing that when we really believe something and have hope, I really want you to believe this is where the universe is heading. 
Uh, I think it will help you so much to have hope if you really believe these words of this expert. Uh, I mean, John has diagnosed the, uh, the soul of the world like nobody ever has. The book of Revelation does not pull any punches about how bad things are, uh, describes in great detail the problems with the world, and yet he also ends with this extravagant hope, and he says things are going to get better. You know, just keep doing this, keep taking your medicine, keep uh, walking forward, and listen to the words I say, and if you believe this, you will not tank. Um, you might start to go down, but if you believe these words of what this passage says, uh, will keep you afloat in, in tough times. And you know, right now with, with what's going on with Hamas and Iran and the way they're moving into that situation and with Russia and, and North Korea kind of su supplying weapons to them and then China looking uh, at uh, Taiwan and kind of claiming it now as their own. And then at the end of all of that, we're going to have an election, which does not encourage me. Uh, that makes me think that our country is going to get more and more divided. So you look into that problem and, and you just think, we need to believe that this planet is going somewhere better than what I think it is right now. And, and if you hold, and this is not just a personal, like, I'm going to go to heaven after I die. That's not enough. That's not the hope of the Bible at all. That's a much more Eastern, uh, kind of mystic, uh, Platonic view of things. That's not the Jewish view of things. The Jews had hope for this world, uh, this planet. And so nobody has ever given us more hope. I mean, this is better hope than nirvana or multiplanetary living or transhumanism or downloading your brain onto uh, into some kind of computer or AI technology. Uh, this hope, you know, more than reincarnation or just a traditional Christian view of heaven. I mean, this passage, behold, I am making all things new in verse five. He's not making all new things. It's a really important distinction. He is not making all new things. He is not uh, just completely obliterating this world, vaporizing this world, and he's going to start over. He says, I am going to make everything that is already here new. And so it's not escaping the world. Uh, it's not give, you can't give up on the world if you believe this, this passage. It is the very last thing the Bible says. Uh, the suffering uh, will be redeemed. Everything sad will become untrue. The worst thing that ever happened to you will become the greatest source of praise and glory in the new creation. So I want to look at uh, this hope that is unlike any other hope. You know, when people say, um, well, do you believe um, that, um, you know, people from other uh, faiths or, or if, if they believe in these other things, are they going to go to heaven? And I just want to say, well, what do you mean by heaven? Like, what heaven? Um, because the only one I know that is described this way is the heaven that is described in the Bible. So, no, I don't think anyone's going to go to nirvana. I don't think anyone's going to be reincarnated. I don't think anyone's going to go to some place in the clouds. This is the place that anyone that would go there would go. This is the only heaven. And to be there, you would have to love the presence of God because that's the essence of this. On both sides of the city, you have the Lamb and the Father, and they produce all the light. So if you don't want to be in that situation, no, you're not going to be there. You wouldn't want to be there. You're going to exclude yourself. So I want to look at how everything is made new uh, in this uh, new creation, um, which is an urban creation. And then I want to look at how the presence of God is the agent, uh, is the source of illumination uh, for the new creation, for the new city. So first, all things made new. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, verse 1. And there again, it's, it's physical. It's a new earth. Heavens doesn't mean um, immaterial. It means the skies. I saw a new skies. I saw uh, a new earth. 
this planet. And, uh, and yet there's one thing missing, which is the sea. But don't worry, that doesn't mean there won't be dolphins or whales or oceans. That means that there will be no more empire. The sea is often the word that the Bible uses for human chaos and violence. It is the thing that John has been describing as the beast, uh, the prostitute that rides on the back of the beast, uh, the dragon, uh, the sea beast, the land beast. All this is, the, that's the sea. It's this stuff. It's the starvation of people in Gaza right now. That's the sea. It's targeting civilians in Ukraine. That's the sea. It's the... There were 627 mass shootings last year in America. That's the sea. That is not going to be there. Uh, that will be annihilated. That's why uh, this idea that you have twice in this passage about um, judgment is, I've said this before, is a good thing. It's a good thing. Because verse 4 says there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And there, that is not possible without a last judgment. Because there are some people that are just going to never give up uh, on their sin, on their destruction. And uh, for, for the new creation to be the new creation, uh, that's got to be gone. So any, anyone that's perpetrating these atrocities unrepentantly, remorselessly, cannot exist there. And so he says there will be, uh, in verse 8, the faithless, the detestable idolaters, on and on and on. And then notice it says, and all other liars, which really explains the rest of that verse, because it means that they are all living in darkness. And I think that is the essence of what is damnable. Um, what, event, what ultimately excludes you, um, well, you exclude yourself, but is walking in darkness and not bringing things to the light. That's why it's so dangerous to walk in darkness. It's not so much any sin that you committed. You could commit any sin at all. I mean, David murdered someone and uh, slept with their wife. I mean, he committed as bad as, bad as it gets. And yet, it's, it's not covering over that sin. In the same way, the least sin that you cover over and will not bring to the light and will not admit and will not fess up to and will not come clean about, that could... That can destroy you. It's all about the lying. Um, it's refusing. It's running to the darkness. And again, verse 27, nothing detestable or false. So there, in, in, in the new creation where everything is lit up by the presence of God, there can be no deception. All the deception you try to get away with, all of the half-truth, uh, that cannot exist anymore. That will not be possible there. There's no more hiding or intentionally manipulating people, gaslighting people, or covering things up. That is what is frightening and damnable, is those kind of things. And so the last judgment is just the father and the son agreeing, like, absolutely not. That The time is over uh, for any kind of unrelenting, unrepentant evil, no more. That, that will not blackmail God into not making heaven. I mean, that, that cannot continue to happen. Because, but if anyone comes clean at all, uh, at any point, at the very end, they are immediately welcomed in. I love the contrast. You've got that. You've got all that evil vaporized and thrown in the lake of fire and destroyed. But then you've also got, verse 25, the gates are never shut. So it's this combination. Like, he's always welcoming everyone. And uh, it's not like the Father and the Son are just passively kind of waiting for anyone to come in. Like, here are the gates. Come on in. It says in verse 27, they've actually prepared the place for us, and our name is on, like when you go to a wedding and your, your name is on the card at the table at the reception, it says our names are written there before we're born, before we're born. So it's not just like uh, only a welcome, it's, it's him going out and getting us and bringing us in. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, verse 27, and our names are graven on his hands, it says, um, that uh, we are known by him before we get there, uh, we're, 
We're chosen by him. We're brought in by him. It's like having, when you try out uh, for a sport or something or a, a dance, uh, a play, if your name was written on the roster um, before you tried out, it would really change the way you tried out. And it should change the way you live to know that your name is written there before you get there. And that God has done everything. It says that uh, I did it from beginning to end, verse 6. It is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. I have done all of it. I have, I have done your part in being a good person and giving you my active righteousness. And I have done your part in, in paying for your sin, my passive righteousness. It has all been done. It's all finished. So it's not like as long as I, as long as I do A, B, and C, then I'm, then I'm good. Or as long as I don't do X, Y, and Z, then I'm good. No, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life before you get there. So he does everything from beginning to end. And even right now, uh, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So whatever kind of dwelling you're going to have, whatever habitation you're going to have, uh, he is already doing that right now. He is working actively on that, preparing that place. And not only are we brought all the way in, um, I love the fact that all of our stuff is there. It's like when a parent, I mean, we, we did this recently. Our children are now both in college, so we went to our attic, and we, um, we, we wanted to save the things we wanted to save and throw out the things we wanted to throw out. So, I mean, at some point, you've got to throw out some of those, you know, things they make in the second grade that are just really not that attractive. And uh, so, but it's like God has saved the best stuff that we've ever made up there uh, for us in the new creation. That's not going away. That's a sign of his love that uh, the kings of the earth bring in their treasures in verse 24. I don't know exactly what that means, but in the Old Testament, Isaiah says that one day every nation is going to bring in their special treasure into the new creation. This is something that Isaiah promised. And so, I mean, this is cliched. I, this is not a good list. Help me out. Um, Turkish rugs, you know, I thought, like, that's one of the glories of uh, of country of Turkey or Swiss cheese. I mean, the Swiss have a lot of other good things. They have watches. But I thought about the hieroglyphics of Egypt, the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics or German cars. And I do think, you know, sometimes people draw a line with like in 1900, nothing after that gets in. Somehow everything before that's fine. But then after 1900, a car couldn't be there. Uh, you couldn't have an, an Apple watch there. But that's part of America, the kings of the earth bringing in their treasures. French pastries, uh, haikus from Japan, coffee from Ethiopia, uh, the dress of the people you see in Guatemala is absolutely gorgeous. But you've been to different places maybe in the world that I haven't been, and just think about the things you saw there that are the absolute treasures of those places. And that, uh, according to this passage, will be brought in. According to Isaiah 65, that will be brought in. All human culture, I mean, when God made us in the garden, he said, I want you to go out and I want you to cultivate the earth and bring out the best in the earth. And that's called the creation mandate. And the creation mandate is fulfilled here because all the stuff we make is there. Like he saved the first great art. He saved all the stuff we did. Uh, so it's not a, the Garden of Eden again. We're not returning to the garden. There's a song by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. We've got to get back to the garden. That's not true. We don't want to get back to the garden. We want to go to head. We want to move to the city. The city is a garden, uh, but it is a city. Verse 12, it has a, it has a high wall. It has 12 gates. It has foundations. Um, it's this magical combination of a city and a garden um, embedded in nature. When we were in Hawaii, there was a mall that was embedded in nature, and there were trees that were huge growing through it, and there were parks in the middle of the mall, like a shopping mall. 
And it was just delightful to see there were birds that would come swooping through there. Of course, she smelled uh, the smells of the tropical flowers that were there. And um, if you've read The Lord of the Rings, you know about Lothlorien, where it's, it's actually a city in a forest, or uh, Rivendell, where it's like a city embedded in the mountains with waterfalls coming down. This uh, verse, verse 1 of chapter 22 says there is a, a crystal clear river flowing through the main street of the city, right down the middle of the city. Crystal clear, so it's absolutely pure. It's, there, it's not polluted. It's not like Chicago River or um, you know, rivers that are in big cities that are absolutely disgusting. This is a crystal clear river uh, with flowering fruit trees on both sides. So they're being um, every day generated by this, uh, sustained by the waters of this river. You know, Greenville, South Carolina, people love Greenville, South Carolina because, I like Greenville, North Carolina, but people love Greenville, South Carolina because it has a river in it. I mean, it's a tiny little river. I mean, it's kind of pitiful, but there's one little bridge over it and there's a little bit of grass and people go crazy about Greenville. Imagine if you had a city, like a great city, uh, a huge city, like New York, Manhattan, and you had a, what if you had a river, I mean, like right down the middle of it and everything was built around that. I sometimes see these homes uh, out west that are built into mountains just like built right into the side of a mountain. And they use a lot of the architectural feature of the, the natural features like a rock or something in the house. That's the kind of garden city. Uh, Swiss Family Robinson at Disney World, that used to fascinate me as a child, where uh, there's no concrete, steel, plastic, or vinyl there. It's all built into nature. And this city in verse 19, uh, there's jasper, there's sapphire and agate. These are all the most precious uh, things we know on earth. These are things that people spend a lot of money to put in their ears or on their neck or on their fingers. Uh, all that's going to be democratized. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be everywhere. You're going to have onyx, you know, on an elevator button. You're going to have carnelian um, on a brick and chrysolite and beryl and topaz and chrysophis and jacinth and amethyst. These are all things that you read about in the Garden of Eden. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you see a lot of these stones there. And what God's saying is that I'm going to bring all of the glory of nature uh, into this city. And humans will, all the creativity of human beings like mixed together with his natural resources will be part of the city. And so everything you've ever worked on, this encourages me. A lot of us, uh, when we, we stop being children and grow up, we, um, we stop making things. So if you're a child, please keep making things as long as you can. Be creative. But a lot of adults stop doing that. But if you've ever tried to work on a song, like if you try to write a song, or if you've ever tried to write a, a book or a poem or, or paint something or, uh, or work on a house, like make this perfect house you want to make, or you had a vision for a garden that you never quite got to, or maybe a business that you wanted to make uh, and it hasn't been fulfilled, or some kind of furniture, or a rug, um, uh, woodworking of any kind, maybe a car you wanted to build or restore, or like a game you made, uh, clothes that you've made, or recipes, the perfect food, if you long for these things to come to completion um, and are sometimes frustrated that maybe that's not going to be there, um, this tells you that one day that will be fulfilled, that that vision you have, that desire you have for that thing that you're making, uh, it, might, it might not happen in this, in this world, but it's going to be represented there because he's kept all our stuff. And uh, I remember at, at, during Advent when Caroline um, sent these things out, you know, every day, the things that a lot of us have made, it was beautiful to see. Like, I didn't know people could do these things in this congregation. Well, all that's going to be there and way more. There's so many things that, that you do uh, that I don't know about, the creativity. 
um, that almost no one knows about in here, and that's going to be there. Um, things that, uh, that maybe even someone really close to you doesn't know about, uh, it's going to be there. And we're going to be amazed by it because didn't know you could do that. Didn't know Ben did those things. Um, so that's all things made new. And uh, the only reason that all things can be made new is because uh, you will have the brightness of God's presence and he will saturate this new creation. Verse 23, the city, again, it's a city, has no need of sun or moon because the glory of God will be the light. It will be the source of energy. And the lamb, not just, it doesn't just say the son of God, but the lamb, the one who is slain, the humble one, uh, the one who gives himself up for people, for enemies, the, uh, the, the, the lamb who is the, the servant of all, the lamb and the father will be there and they will shine their light. That will be the light. And it will be thrilling to us to be in their presence, the two of them together. Um, verse 2 says, uh, I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem. And again, it's coming down. We're not going up into it. We're not, we don't go up to heaven. Heaven comes down. The new creation comes down. And uh, I think this is the most important part of the passage, that this city, which is all of us, uh, in God's eyes, uh, is a bride. And a lot of this passage is... Um, description of the bride and the beauty of the bride. But it's a bride adorned for her husband. So I imagine when I've done weddings, the groom will be here, the bride will be coming down the aisle, they, they lock eyes, and I get to watch them both, and they often their faces get red. And uh, probably one of the greatest moments in life, that moment. And that moment is just the tiniest sneak preview for this moment, where we will, we will come down, he will be here, Son of God, God's church, and the essence of the new creation will not be any of these things. As great as the things I'm talking about are, uh, that's, not, that's not what it's about. What it's about is be, being the bride of, of Christ. Uh, in our small group the, uh, this past Thursday, somebody shared their life story. And after they shared their life story, somebody else prayed for them. And the person prayed, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, before the world was created, the three of you are living in perfect fellowship and harmony, and you are talking to one another. And the father says to the son, son, I will make for you a creation. And in that creation, I will create a bride for you. as my great gift to you. I will give you the bride. And then the person prayed, and this, this person, he named the person who just shared, they will be part of that bride. And they will be there, and they will be beautiful for you. And uh, it just really stuck with me as I was thinking about this passage that was the purpose of God in creating the world. The father, in overflowing love for his son, creates for his son a bride, which is his people. And um, that's why we're here. Like, Salem exists to be that bride. It's that simple. We are not here primarily to serve God. We only serve him because we're that beautiful bride. We're not here primarily just to sing to him or praise him. Oh, that's very important. That's a part of being the bride. We're not here primarily to evangelize uh, or bring justice, although those are very important parts of what the bride is really like when you see her, but we are here to be the bride, uh, to be the beloved of God. And um, that fulfilling that ancient promise of the Father's gift to the Son is what life is about. And I know that that can be hard for men um, because just thinking of yourself as a bride can be hard. It's also hard for women sometimes to think of themselves as sons of God, which God describes us to be a lot, but um, sometimes for men, and I think, um, you know, men sometimes in their 30s and 40s, I mean, I kind of felt this way a little bit, 
can feel like, what is life about anymore? Like, I've done this for so long. I've been part of the church for so long. What, is it, what am I doing here? What is church about? What is the kingdom about? And really, the simple answer is there's nothing you could do better for your brothers and sisters in the church, uh, in your neighborhood, your neighbors, your coworkers. There's nothing you could do more important than being beloved by God and inhabiting that identity and really dwelling in that identity. And um, nothing would bless the people around you more than just being... Uh, that being who you are, like living in that status as the, um, the beloved of, of the Son of God. Um, there was a, a wedding reception I went to one time. This was kind of unusual. And the groom stood up, and, uh, and he got up, and he actually um, praised his, his wife, his brand-new wife. They had just gotten married in the reception. He, he stood up, and he went on and on singing her praises to the guests. And uh, in the Song of Songs, that's what is going on the whole time. The, the groom is singing these songs, these beautiful, if you've read the Song of Songs, these gorgeous descriptions of the bride. And that's going on here. He says, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's how we got to think about ourselves. Um, he's singing to her. A lot of the passage, more than you would think, is just a description of the beauty of the bride. So he says, her radiance is like a most rare jewel, verse 11, like jasper, clear as crystal. This is the Son of God going over the details of the beauty of his bride that he cannot wait to be united to. Uh, verse 21, her gate, 12 pearls, her streets, pure gold. The streets are probably, the, the, that's the least likely place there would be gold, is uh, the street. That would be the nastiest place of all. Pure gold, transparent glass. The whole thing is a 24-carat golden cube, like the Holy of Holies. The whole city is a cube, which is what the, uh, the inner... Uh, sanctuary was like the Holy of Holies was a cube also. So uh, that is uh, the Son of God describing uh, how gorgeous and stunning and perfect his wife is. Um, and, you know, I think that we all have a, a strong desire to be thought of as handsome, beautiful, stunning, attractive. People would pay a lot of money uh, to have someone tell them that. I think it's a deeper desire than we often recognize. I think we suppress that desire. Uh, we act like it's not there. If somebody even comments on my socks sometimes, you know, that'll make my day, like uh, your socks. Um, think about what someone says if they say your hair looks good or uh, I like that uh, shirt you're wearing. You know, that can really, it's, it's amazing how much that can do. Maybe even more than someone commenting on how much money you make or how smart you are, how accomplished you are. There's something about beauty that just gets right to the heart. And uh, that's why high school can be super painful, um, because that could be going the opposite direction. So, you know, make it your New Year's resolution 2024. I am going to get into my head the voice of the Son of God who declares to me that I am beautiful all the time, just constantly going over it and over and over, describing me um, as beautiful and what he wants, rejoicing over you with singing. And this is very psychologically difficult, so I'm not saying uh, that you can just suddenly do this or find yourself thinking of yourself as beloved and beautiful and glorious and gorgeous. Um, in our culture, that is so absolutely fixated on uh, just having the perfect body and even like, um, you know, airbrushing things in and out of, uh, of posts that you make. I mean, it is really psychologically difficult to think you're beautiful, to think, uh, to think of yourself as handsome. Um, it took years and years of my wife telling me that I was handsome to believe that. I just didn't believe that. And it's still really hard. And that was the 1990s. 
In 2024, it's gotten a lot harder. So I'm especially, uh, not for me, but for like the whole, <laughs> the whole culture. Uh, maybe for me too, but I was thinking more of like young people right now uh, who are comparing themselves to these images they see. Like, how can I think that I'm beautiful? How can I think that I'm gorgeous? How can I think that people uh, think highly of me and the way I look? And, and we've got to see uh, Jesus Christ at this meal, the Son of God who came to die for us week after week after week just cleaning us and uh, happily um, just uh, washing us. It says in Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those whose robes are washed white in the blood of the Lamb. So um, it is not just automatic. This is, this is us being washed by the blood of the Lamb. To really believe that we're beautiful, I think we have to believe that the cleansing agent is stronger than the sin. And we know the sin. We know the ugliness morally. Uh, we know how flawed we are, and so we, we have to believe that the blood of Christ, the Son of God's own sacrificial love for us, is stronger than our sin. Um, that's the only way we're going to believe this. Before he served this meal to his bride-to-be, I mean, think of him coming and being with his tiny little church up there in the upper room. I don't know how many were up there, probably 120 people or something like that. He came to his church. This is, his, this is like his little bride. He's waiting. This is, this is like a rehearsal but before he serves her the meal, what does he do? He gets down on his knees at her feet, and he washes her feet. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is here uh, with his church, and he's washing her feet. And he wasn't doing it uh, with um, resentment. He wasn't sighing or uh, like the way that I might do a chore and, you know, huffing and puffing and like trying to make sure they know that he's suffering he is doing this gladly. He's doing this happily. This is why he came. It would have been um, shocking for the lowest servant in the room to do that. But he went around to every single foot. And back then, the feet were disgusting, and he cleaned them. And of course, as he's cleaning them, he's getting filthy as he's scrubbing away every bit of dirt and grime. I just think of him as like really digging in, like he wanted to get everything off so that they would know that's how they are in his eyes spiritually. And for 2,000 years, he's been scrubbing the feet of his church uh, at this table. And we're talking about crusades, uh, pogroms, atrocities of the church, uh, Spanish Inquisition, witch trials, slavery, uh, abuse scandals. And you could go on and on and on about the atrocities that the church has committed. And Jesus says, I wash you still. I identify with you. I love you. I see it all. I know that it's a lot worse than even you think it is, and yet uh, I love you, and I think you're beautiful. And so um, on the night he was betrayed, where we uh, were at our ugliest point, on that night, uh, he served us this meal. Uh, it was not the night that we were on our best behavior, uh, minding our P's and Q's. Uh, it, was, it was not the night that we sang Hosanna and were all positive about him and thought he was great. If he had served us the meal on those nights, we might think that it's only because we're doing really well that he loves us. But he served us this meal on the night that we betrayed him to say that when you're at your worst point, uh, I still love you as much as I could ever love you. And so he took bread that night and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in memory of me. And he said, this is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And whenever you eat the bread and drink from the cup, uh, once again, we're making this 
shocking proclamation that uh, sinner though I am, I am white as snow, I am beautiful, I am clean, I am delighted in, I am sung over. That's true of all of us um, because of the blood of the Lamb. So um, let me pray for us as we come to this table. Uh, Father, I pray that you glorify your Son and his love for us. It gives you great delight to see him serving us his meal. Uh, this is why you made the world. Um, for this one little planet, uh, this one little species, the only ones made in your image, the only ones that the Son of God ever became united to eternally, um, as tiny and as meaningless as we seem to be, we know that we are at the heart of the, uh, the heavens of heavens, and um, nothing means more to you than uh, your little churches around the world through all time. God, if there's anyone here who is um, not sure whether to take this meal, I pray that you would speak to them personally and let them know more than anything just that they're loved and that you're glad they're here. And I pray that it might even be a time where they can um, think about whether they, whether they want to follow you and whether they want to give their life to you. And, um, and I pray that, um, that everyone would know that, they, that you want them to take this meal. This is a, your desire is for every human to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth and not to perish, but to have eternal life. And so I pray that um, we would know uh, how much we love us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So before you come up here, I just want to reiterate what I just said. Remember, we love these rascals.